I think we made like a really quick trip uh, in, in, into the island at one point right at the beginning and we kind of like broke the rules and snuck in and just needed some time with Lawrence and Wanda but otherwise we've not been on the island at all so it's just really good to be together uh, and to, to, be in this, to be in this space. Um, I don't know about here, but where, where we are, as we walk through the uh, pandemic together, there was a phrase that came up over and over again, especially right at first, and it came up so much, it was being said so many times that uh, people actually kind of started getting pretty sick of it. Um, it, it kept, you kept hearing people say this over and over, we're in this together. That happened here too? I just saw a couple of eye rolls. Yeah. I remember I had one parishioner in our church, she came to me at one point and she says, if I hear that one more time, she says, because the reality of it is we are not in this together, I am alone in my house. You know, like there's this, this sense in which over and over again in the midst of like just a really difficult season and a lot of people feeling in isolation and all these kinds of things, in a great heart and a desire to encourage, there was this phrase that kept coming up, we're all in this together. I think it was a beautiful sentiment, and I, I think in many ways we, we were all in this together and that we were all going through it at the same time. But if there's one thing that COVID's done for many of us, it's, it's heightened that awareness of our desire, our hunger, our need to actually be together. That in fact, we weren't created to do life apart. Uh, we weren't created to do life alone. And in fact, when we try that or when we find ourselves in seasons where you know, due to our own decisions or just situations completely outside of our control, we begin to feel isolated and alone. It re- life starts to really take some bizarre turns. In some ways, it actually impacts us in ways we didn't see coming. You know, I know for me, I've, I've, I've come to a couple different times throughout and certainly recently as we're getting near to the end of this thing and realized, oh, I'm not actually okay in some ways. And part of it is because of the way that that isolation and that uh, those things played out in my life. We've had people in our home in the past couple of weeks and ate together. And it's in those moments that you realize, wow, people do like me. They just weren't allowed to come over. You know, it wasn't that they, it wasn't that they didn't want to or that we, you know, our apartment was too hard to get into or whatever. And so this, this phrase, it kind of rings out over, over this season and has been somewhat um, of an annoyance to many. But I want to look at that phrase a little bit together as the people of God today because I think there is a reason why it kept coming up and why people kept kind of speaking it out almost in a sense of like we are to get like just a reminder like we don't have to do this alone we need to figure this out. Uh, it, we're going to look at the passage that was that was read just a little bit together in a minute but before we get there um, We're talking about there, Paul uses an analogy for the church of the body, right? We've all heard this passage before. He says the church is like a body, right? And so we'll come back to that in a minute. But before we do, let's just take a moment to think about, to look at the inception of the church. When the church was first birthed, when the church became the church, and we go back to the book of Acts, after the ascension, Jesus makes some beautiful promises and gives them some incredibly clear instruction. And as they wait with those instructions and they pray, suddenly in Acts chapter 2, it says, Suddenly, God came in power. The Holy Spirit, the promise of God, came upon the people of God. And in that day of Pentecost, we see the inception of the church. The church is birthed. That the people of God are the people of God because they're the people of God's presence. 
And so as the presence of God comes, it says they could literally see it. It was like tongues of fire came down upon the people of God as they waited. And they began to speak in tongues. And as they spoke in tongues, some watched and thought, wow, it's early to be dipping into the wine quite that heavily. But they were quick to jump in and say, no, that's not at all what's happening. Pay attention to what's happening. The good news of Jesus is being proclaimed, and it's being heard and understood by everyone in the room, regardless of their tribe, their language, their, their station in life. The God has come, and the power of God has come, and then the first thing that starts to happen is the, this kind of what seems to be um, eclectic group of people from all across all kinds of cultures and languages and tribes are brought together. The good news of Jesus is spoken and it's heard by all of them in their own tongue. And so the, one of the first things we see in the inception of the church is a togetherness, a unity that's brought by the Spirit of God to a group of people who very well may have had nothing in common at all. We actually find out early in the church, this isn't my sermon, I feel like I'm about to go off on another one. But we, just as a side note, you actually see the early church is incredibly diverse. Like one of the first problems they have is racial. Right? They have Greek-speaking Jews whose widows aren't being taken care of. Some Greek-speaking Jewish men stand up and say, hey, we have a problem over here. It's a racial problem. But what's incredible is that this interracial group is finding a unity in the person of Jesus. They're finding a unity in the gospel message. And that was by design. God did that on purpose when he started the church. In the midst of it, as Peter begins to explain what's going on and to draw people and invite them into what's happening... It says at the end of Acts chapter 2 that thousands come into faith and so come into that community, into that togetherness that day. And that seems to continue in the days and weeks that follow. That people just continue to be brought into this place of togetherness, this place of union, this place of life together. Until in Acts chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, starting in verse 42, we get a description of what this church looks like right out of the gate. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then it tells us this, All who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we see here in this picture is the early church is described right in its infancy is kind of a breathtaking picture. In some ways, I think it's a picture or a manifestation, an outworking of the church that is deep inside of all of our hearts when we think of what it is that we want to be part of. What really matters to us 
when we say, I want to be a part of the church. What we hope we find when we go to church. And at the core of it is this incredible thing. This group is in a very true way, and I would say in a supernatural way, in this together. When the Spirit of God comes upon a group of people, there is a binding of hearts. There's a union that comes to their relationships, to their life. And so it makes sense. This this idea of who the church is in its inception deeply marks the apostles because they're there to see it. They're leading it. They're watching it, probably with their jaws dropped, thinking, how are we going to lead this? Thousands of people. Can you imagine? I think we all think, oh, that'd be so great. I'll tell you right now, as a priest, that scares me to death. 3,000 people come to the Lord today. I'm out of my league all of a sudden. That's discipleship on a whole new level, right? We are on the seat of our pants now, fellas. Jesus is going to have to do this, right? And this is where they're at. And one of the marks that they experience and they watch without really knowing what they're doing, I wonder how much leadership they really even needed to bring to this. I think it's just the outworking of the Spirit, That people don't even need to be told to go and to sell their excess to distribute their wealth amongst the common people, amongst the community. It just begins to make sense. Why? Because we've come together. So now your need is not yours in isolation. And my excess is not mine to hoard. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine, be it wealth or need. And there's this just natural, organic outflow in the church of a togetherness. And this continues, and the apostles pick it up. And if you read through the letters that Paul writes, that Peter writes, that James writes, and you listen to these leaders of the church, this idea of the unity of the church and the togetherness of his people, it just rings out through their pastoral hearts. James will later say so much about the discrepancy that's come up in one of his churches between rich and poor. It frustrates him. He says some very harsh things. Why? Because this is not what the Spirit birthed. This does not make sense as the people of God. And one of the greatest proponents of this, and who we have so much material literature from, is the Apostle Paul. And we see it in the passage that we just read. When the Apostle Paul wants the church to understand who they are, he comes in and he says, you are a body. One body. With one head. Who is Christ. And then from that place, the passage that we read, he begins to explain to us, yes, there is a diversity inside our togetherness. You are not all the same. You don't even all speak the same language, which probably means you didn't grow up in the same place, which probably means you don't think the same things about everything. There's a diversity at play. The other side of it is you're not all created the same. You don't have the same personalities. You don't have the same tendencies in conflict. You don't have the same giftings or or talents or spiritual gifts. And that, too, in the same way that the togetherness was by design, that diversity is also by design. 
And so Paul says, you are one, you are together, but it doesn't somehow homogenize the picture. He says, a body is made up of many parts, right? Hands and feet and eyes and ears. And he calls us into this understanding of who we are as the church that really drives home this point. You are in this together. And part of the way he says that is, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. You do. How does a hand get anywhere without feet? And an eye can't say to the ear, you don't need me. So whether we have a tendency towards uh, pride and kind of overstepping our position in the community and downplaying others, or just as, just as detrimental to the togetherness of the body, we have a tendency to downplay our place in the community. Paul says it doesn't work because we're all in this together. It's actually core to the who we are as the church. That we are one body. And if there's a verse that I would leave with you today, it's from the passage we read. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. Where given this idea of togetherness and the body of Christ, Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored... All rejoice together. So Paul doesn't just point to this oneness, this togetherness, this sort of like uh, idealistic, wouldn't it be nice? He says, this is who you are, and so this has implications for your everyday life. If brother or sister beside you suffers, you suffer. And if brother or sister beside you rejoices or is honored, you rejoice. Why? Because we're in this together. And that togetherness isn't just a quick phrase that got pulled out in the midst of COVID for the church. It's the core of who we are as the people of God. And so we're not just in this together when we all go through the same thing, like a pandemic. No, we are all in this together, always, in every way. Um, Believe it or not, um, about four weeks ago, I had a left hip replacement. They took out my bone and they replaced it with titanium. So I'm somewhat superhuman now. I'm not a cyborg, it has no motors, and I can't jump higher. I asked for that, and they just looked at me funny. Uh, But I I, I got this hip replacement, and I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I'm doing incredibly well, and those of you who are aware of that have been praying, I just want to thank you. I know that the prayers of God's people have carried me. But when I came out of the surgery, I was amazed at how my body responded. I was only awake for about 20 minutes before a nurse asked me if I wanted to stand up. Uh, my good friend Martin and I, we haven't seen each other in a little while, but we have this in common now here. That we have new hips. And it is kind of crazy when they say, would you like to stand up? And I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. Am I allowed to do that? Like, what? Didn't you just take out a hip and put it like, yeah, let's do this. And I stood up on that hip, and I, I thought, wow, 
Like, I was on it. Like, the weight of my body was on this hip, like, inside of 20 minutes of waking up. And I thought, that's incredible. But at the very same time, I could feel the journey that was in front of me. The, the, the pain of my hip before was gone. And so I was elated. I mean, it was incredible. But I also felt the fact that they had cut me open, moved my muscles all around, used the tools I saw right before they put me out. Right before they put me out, a little Filipino nurse took a reciprocal saw and jammed a, a rechargeable battery into the back of it, just as the OR nurse said, it's all for you, man. <laughs> and I was like, put me out quick. Like, this is too much, you know? So I have no questions about what's just happened. And even if I hadn't seen it, I could feel it. Right? Like my body had gone through trauma. And my muscles were not strong. And they asked me to be very careful about certain movements because they didn't want it popping out. They don't want it dislocating. And I was like, let's take that seriously. That sounds awful. And so any time that I would, especially in those first few days, would start to do something they'd ask me not to, even get close, I could tell why they'd ask. They probably didn't even need to tell me. Because right? my body was in a bit of rough shape. And my, my left leg had become incredibly weak. But what also became really obvious to me and a gift to me was the strength of my right leg. I found that if I had had both hips done, I don't really know what recovery would have looked like. But with one leg completely weak, unable to bear weight on its own, unable to make all kinds of normal movements, the strength of my right leg became incredibly important to me. And I was laying in bed one morning, and I... (laughs) I was laying in bed, and I kind of woke up, and I just laying there, and my right leg, my strong leg, kind of slid over in the bed to my left leg, and the two of them had a bit of a moment. <laughs> it was bizarre, but it was sort of like this moment of like, the, right, the strong leg came over to the weak leg, and they both said to one another, hello. And I thought, this is odd. I'm not typically quite this, you know, I don't know what to call it. But I, it was like there was this relationship between my strong leg and my weak leg that was kind of emotionally charged. Like, it was amazing. And my right leg tucked its toes underneath my left leg and lifted it and swung it over to the side of the bed and together we got up. I couldn't have done that without the strength of my right leg. I would have needed to lean on the strength of my wife to lift me out of bed, which, if you know my wife, might not have gone very well. I'm a little bigger than she is. God began to speak to me in the midst of that as I considered the weakness of my left leg and the strength of my right leg. And as we talk about this season that we've walked through, And as we come towards, through our summer and towards the fall, uh, both at our church at Via Langley, uh, but I think across the kingdom, and certainly this morning for you here at Via Comox Valley, God began to cause me to consider 
what it was to be in this together. And to recognize that in lots of ways, many of us come out of the last two years having been a bit beat up in different ways. If I talked to each of you, you would probably be able to share with me the unique ways in which the last year and a half, two years have impacted you emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, right? And part of what happens is we come out of a season like that And in some ways, it's like the nurse comes along and says, want to stand up? Because something's been done in the midst of that season. God's been at work. But when we go to stand up, we we realize both simultaneously that God's been up to something. And I'm a bit weak in my left leg. Where Where the season has touched and impacted my life, I'm a bit beat up. And so I can recognize both at the same time that there is a strength in me that was birthed in this season and there is a need for recovery. And if I pretend there's not a need for recovery, this is not going to go well. Right? The doxes don't bend at your hip more than 90 degrees. Don't twist on that hip. There's reasons for that. If I just kind of lean into my strength, and ignore my weakness, I'm going to be in trouble. But, if I allow my weakness to define me, then I'm going to be confined to my bed. Because I'm not just weak. I have a strength in me as well. I believe that we are headed right now as we come out of this, not only because it's an, an end to COVID is coming, but I think in an even greater way that God has been at work behind the scenes and that we're coming into what I would call a new day. I believe that God has been at work in the midst of this preparing ground. He has plans, and he has been preparing hearts and preparing especially church communities and the people of God to walk into some new things. But in order for us to walk into the new things that God has, some of us, probably all of us, stand in need of some recovery. My encouragement to us today is to recognize that as we come into that space and we recognize those needs, I think God is calling us to recognize our strength. I think lots of us are quick to see and to understand our weakness and our need. Sometimes we may not want to tell everyone about it, but we feel it and we're aware of it. I don't think we should ignore it. That's not what I'm saying. But I feel like the call of God to us is as the body of Christ to recognize that you are part of a body. We are all in this together. Your weakness will not go uncared for. But I think the encouragement to us, especially as we come out of a season like what COVID has been, is to maybe switch gears a little bit. To kind of rise up and to say, but I have a strength in me that God has put in me, and what ways, how would he be asking me to be the strong leg to someone else's 
weekly. To walk, as Henry Nouwen would put it, as a bit of a wounded healer. And to recognize that if I am to lean into my strength and to come alongside my brothers and sisters, both in their suffering and in their rejoicing, and to encourage and to strengthen and to just obediently walk out what it is to be the people of God in each other's lives, that if I do that, and my brother and my sister do that, then my weakness won't go uncared for. Because I'm not the only one who's asking, how might God ask me today to be a strength for a brother or sister in this season? In what ways is God wanting to see inside of our communities, inside of our hearts and our lives, these moments like what my legs had that day? Where we come alongside each other and something inside of us comes to a peace. And there is a hello that is just filled with, and at its core, the, the idea of shalom. Ah, hello. Suddenly, even in my weakness, I'm, I can move. I can begin to heal. And my recovery is served because you've come alongside me in your strength. As I was uh, sitting here today, and just we'll come to the table here in a minute, but as I was sitting in worship today, for you especially, um, God was speaking to me about not only the importance of this and being the body of Christ and recognizing we're all in this together, taking this passage of scripture from Corinthians and realizing that when one member suffers, we all suffer together. We come around them. And when one is honored, we come around them and we rejoice, right? So that we bring our strength alongside weakness that is such a gift to us as the body of Christ. It's what makes us the body of Christ. It's us living in the fullness of who we are. But what God was speaking to me about in the midst of worship was the missional quality of that. And for you as a church, I really strongly believe that as you walk into this, and if you will allow yourself to ask that question and allow God to, to, to challenge you, to, to release you, to call you into places of strength alongside brothers and sisters, the witness of that to the community around you will be life-changing. I don't think that it's a stretch to think that a huge part of why... Many were being added to their numbers day after day was because of what they were witnessing in the togetherness of this community. As they watched such a diverse group of people come together. As they watched the rich do the unfathomable and let go of their wealth for the sake of community. As they watched people in their own brokenness, in their own woundedness, come alongside in their strength and be used by God to strengthen another. That the missional quality of that, the testimony of that to the community around them was powerful. It actually was the way that I think many saw and thought, I want in on that. When it says that many were added to their numbers, what they're saying is many were also brought in and then part of that togetherness. 
And I, I just, as we were in worship today, um, that was really striking me for you as a church. And so that one's for free. The invitation today is simply this. First of all, and as we come to the table, I want to encourage you to just take a moment and think a couple things over. Would you allow yourself in the place that you're in the honesty and the reality of where you're at, of what you're carrying, would you allow yourself and allow your family and allow your community as a church to be strength to those around you? The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the foot, you don't need me. We need each other. And we don't need each other in imperfection. We don't need each other to get ourselves figured out so that we could possibly help one another or be together. The togetherness, the work of strength is ultimately the work of God, of the Spirit among us. And so would you allow yourself no matter where you're at, no matter what the season looks like for you, to consider what it would look like to be strength to those around you. To wake up in the morning and ask God, how would you use me today? And secondly, when others come to strengthen you, would you humbly allow them to do that? When God sends others to come alongside and to carry your burden, to suffer with you, to be strength to you in your weakness, would you humbly allow them to do that? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the church. Over the past few weeks, Lord, you know that